So uh, this is the second uh, week of a five-week series called uh, Reframe. And, uh, uh, well, let me say a word about last week. So it was two weeks ago that we started this series, and then last week we were at the gathering, and maybe some of you are saying, well, Dave, how did the gathering go? Well, in the two services at the gathering, we had uh, 1,905 people. That's 100 more than a year ago. Um, and you say, well, did anybody show up here for church last Sunday? Well, yes, they did. Uh, b- uh, between the first and second services, uh, 20 cars drove up, approximately. 19 of the t- t- 20 cars said, oh, this is the day. And one of the cars reported, I've never heard of the gathering. So uh, just in case you were like wondering, like, what, what happens when we move church? That's what happens here when we move church. Uh, so reframing our lives with God's word and keeping God's perspective is a constant battle, is a constant battle. And so one of the things we're doing for five weeks is we're saying um, you come to church on Sunday and one of the gifts we hope to give you is like an opportunity to reframe some of the rest of your life during the week according to God's word. God's word is the constant reframer. Jesus coached his followers. You remember in the New Testament, he often said like, it's been said or our world says. And then Jesus said, but I tell you. And so these are some of the I tell you from God's word that we're going to talk about. And God's word needs to reframe our our thoughts and our lives and is a critical part of following Jesus. And if you haven't picked this up about Orchard, like we think God's word is central to spiritual growth. That's why we send an email every morning to about a thousand people now who are opening it. So they'll open God's word and read his word. Um, That's why we really every Sunday when we're teaching, We all open God's book because God's word is a part of growing spiritually. You won't grow spiritually without God's word. In fact, Psalm 119, 105 says this. um, Your word, God, is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119. When I read that verse, I think about a flashlight in the dark. And I think about like we're out playing hide and seek with the grandkids and we each have a little flashlight and we just like... We can only see the next step in front of us, but God's word says that that light in our dark life is like his, is like his word. And then Jesus says in Matthew 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so, um, uh, this morning I'm teaching on the topic of God's word. Should I make a change here, guys? Is this going to get better? This, okay. Um, uh, God's word reframes how we see the storms in our lives and how we live through the storms in our lives. God's word reframes that. And uh, this morning, as I thought about this, I thought about how many of us are in storms. And uh, if you were at the gathering last week and we said, hey, why don't you uh, stand if you have a, uh, if you have an issue? Uh, if you have an economic issue or a health issue or something, if, if you were there and you saw how many people stood so quickly and they said, pray for us, we're in a storm. And uh, as I thought about our congregation, I thought about the kinds of storms we're in. Uh, if you were in economic storms, we talked about that last week, quite a number of folks are going through storms in their marriages. In fact, two couples came to me this week and said, uh, 
uh, Dave, were you thinking of us when you said that about marriages? I said, no, no, I wasn't thinking of you. But we are in a church with a lot of a lot of issues and uh, uh, in marriages, um, health storms everywhere, and grief and loss storms. Uh, we've done a lot of funerals lately. Uh, two weeks ago at Lincoln Center, uh, mom and dad buried a newborn baby. Uh, and that was a sad, sad deal. Um, we had a charter member a week ago this past Monday um, who uh, then uh, was uh, buried. And I had a friend who was 52 years old, and he went to bed. He put his glasses on his table, and he just never woke up again. And so we have all kinds of storms in our lives. So I want to highlight for you a couple of storms where Jesus took his disciples into. And the first one is from Matthew. We have it on a slide. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, O you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, What kind of a man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? First story. Jesus gets into a boat. He invites his disciples into the boat. They're going to cross this stream. This is right after he fed 5,000 people. Jesus takes a nap at the front of the boat. Big storm comes up. His disciples become afraid. And then what do they do? They say, hey, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. Jesus wakes up. He says, be calm. And then it says, instantly, the lake is calm. That's an entry. I don't know if you've ever been on a lake in a storm, but they don't get calm instantly. But in this case, it says instantly the lake was calm. So that's the power of Jesus. And then it says they were amazed and perplexed. Uh, How does somebody do this? In the midst of a storm, speak to nature and calm things down. Now I want to give you another story, the second story. This is also from the book of Matthew. And you know this, but I want you to listen to it closely with new ears this morning. Immediately. This is 22, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. There aren't too many places where it says Jesus made his disciples do anything. But Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone on the mountainside, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it again. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Then they climbed into the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Another storm. 
What's interesting to me is Jesus had the power when Peter said, hey, Jesus, if it's you on the water, invite me out. Jesus had the power to turn to the lake and say, be calm. Peter's going to walk. Let's calm down. But what did he do? He didn't do that. Instead, right into the wind and the waves, he said, hey, Peter, come. And the thing that this teaches me is that when you and I are in the midst of a storm in our lives, the culture sometimes says, where's God? The culture sometimes says God must not exist. The culture must said you made a mistake. You're in this storm. And here's a case where Peter, where Jesus invites Peter directly into the wind and waves, directly into the storm. Is Peter in Jesus's will? You bet you. He's exactly when Peter looks around and there's wind and waves. Is he exactly where God wants him? Yes, he is exactly where Jesus invited him. And so sometimes when we're in a storm, we think, well, God didn't have power over this. God didn't invite me here. This isn't where God wants me. And in both of these cases, the disciples are exactly where God wanted them. Exactly. So if you're in a storm in your life right now, economic storm, one of those 406 families that got a notice from John Deere that you wouldn't be working there after October 31st, You might say, what's God doing? And it's possible that you're right in the midst of where God wants you. We have some families with little kids in the hospital. And it's possible that they're right where God wants them. Now, we're going to talk a minute, because not in every case. So we need to reframe the storm twice here. Jesus leads his disciples right out in the midst of the storm. So I want to say four things about storms, if we're going to reframe it according to God's word. Number one, sometimes it is God's will for us to be dead center in the middle of a storm. Sometimes. I want to call a time out here, man. Sometimes we're in a storm because of evil. We live in a broken world where Satan has power and there is evil. And the world we live in is broken. So the family that buried Their baby two weeks ago at Lincoln Center. That's caused by evil. Evil of a broken world. Adam and Eve breaking the system. And the world has been cursed. And nature has been cursed. And the human body has been cursed. And um, so there is evil. And Jesus is there if the storm is also caused by evil. But sometimes it's not caused by evil. So sometimes it's God's will for us to be dense center in the middle of a storm. We follow Jesus and he takes us directly into the storm. Right in the wind, right in the waves. Come, says Jesus. And sometimes God still invites you and me right into the storm. Years ago, I was in my office one afternoon. And, uh, you know, a number of years ago. And I got a call from my office here. And one of our young men had committed suicide at a house five, ten minutes away. So I got in my car and I had five to ten minutes to drive to that house and begin to try to bring comfort to that family. And that was a storm. And evil caused the storm, right? The original cause of the storm was evil. But then, Jesus, it's like he almost was there saying, Dave, come. Come right into this storm and help these people who are faithful, good people. 
And it was such a, an interesting thing to have happen, to just drive up and to give comfort to parents and then give comfort to a junior high school. Sometimes it's a combination. The storm is caused by evil, but then God wants us to go right into that storm. I've had uh, two granddaughters, both of them, when uh, shortly after they were born, uh, they were both in ICU for a while, one for 35 or 40 days. And that was a storm. And then God invites the parents, invites me into the storm. And it's so interesting because when you see the storm this way, you pray more than for just the health of your granddaughter. You pray for the growth of your children. You pray for the growth of your children. You pray that um, God will work good in every way around this thing. When our twins were born 30 years ago, and I talk about this a lot because it was such a, a crux in my life. Our twins were born. The doctor was a good friend of mine. His uh, kid was a star wrestler on my wrestling team. We were close. He comes out of the hospital room because I wasn't allowed to be in there because it was a, a bad thing. And he says, Dave, you had twins, and um, your daughter, your son might live. Your son might live. Your daughter, probably not. So they put him put in transportation, took him to another hospital. And uh, in my heart, I was in a storm. And I never knew. I never knew how much that storm was going to help me grow. I never knew how much that storm was going to direct my life. And in this particular case, the twins lived. And they're raising their own kids now and all that. Uh, but, but something powerful happened in the storm. I learned something that I never learned before. And what I learned as I watched these babies wired up, fighting for life, was everything really important in life I have no control over. Nothing. I have no control. I have no control whether one of our families of our kids today goes for a drive on an interstate and gets totally killed. I have no control whether I even have breath this afternoon. No control. I have no control over all the things in my life that are so important to me. And when you learn that, you learn about God. So that led me to the second thing we can learn from storms. You learn things in storms, you won't learn other ways. The disciples in the boat. Jesus stands up and he calms the sea, calms the storm. Now what do they say? Who is this man? They're learning at an ever deeper level the power of Jesus. And they had to be in a storm to learn it. Peter, he gets out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus. He looks at the winds and the waves. And then, and then he uh, lets his attention go there and he starts to sink. And then Jesus reaches out and grabs him and puts him in the boat. And what does Peter learn there? You don't have to be perfect to be helped by God. Because he got out of the boat, he had faith. Then he lost his faith, and he's sinking, and Jesus helps him. So that's one of the cool things I think Peter learned. And the disciples, in the Living Bible, when the disciples wake Jesus up in the front of the boat, uh, in the Living Bible, they paraphrase it this way. Jesus says to him, how long must you be with me before you trust me? So they were afraid. They had lost their trust. 
And Jesus says, I'm going to be there for you anyway. What a, what a blessing and what a learning in the midst of a storm. You don't have to walk through the storm perfectly. You don't have to walk through the storm sinlessly. You don't have to walk through the storm like you have all the answers and you have confidence. You can be afraid. You can be weeping. You can be scared to death. And Jesus is still there for you. Second lesson. You learn things in storms you won't learn other ways. Third lesson. Jesus can be trusted in the middle of the storm. We should keep our eyes on him and we should grab onto him. He's the one who can be trusted. He has power. He can work. Even no matter what nature is throwing at us, no matter what economics is throwing at us, no matter what relational problems we're in. Again, the uh, Kaya and Carrie, our two granddaughters, in the ICU. As a grandparent, you're sitting outside the ICU and you're realizing again, everything really important in this life, you don't have control over. I have no clue how to help them, except be sure they're at as good a hospital as they can be at. And so you learn again, in the midst of the storm, that God can be trusted. And he can be trusted whether um, they're cured or not. That God can be trusted. The storm is where our faith and God's power is often noticed by others. Number four, all eyes are on us and our rescuer in the storm, and God can get great glory. Think about this. When Peter got out of the boat and he's starting to walk on the water towards Jesus, where are the disciples looking? Are they like looking at the stars? Are they like looking at the shore? No, all eyes are glued on Peter. Because he's in the midst of the storm walking on water. When we're in the midst of the storm is one of the times when our witness is really powerful and God could get a great glory. In fact, both of these stories in the storm end that way. Both of them end saying, in the one time, the disciples are saying, who is this guy? He must be the Messiah, the Son of God. In the other time, they say, how does this guy even calm down storm?" All, all the, during the storm, you might have more witnessing power, more um, giving God fame than anything else you do. Last week at the gathering, we had uh, Don Cagle on the video. Well, why did we have Don and not somebody else? Because Don's going through a big storm and her family's with her. And she can give great witness and bring glory to God. So Matthew eight twenty seven. what kind of a man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him, said the disciples. And then after Peter gets in the boat, the disciples say, truly, you are the son of God. On caravan this year, uh, they were ready to head home from uh, Colorado. They took the day and they went for a uh, bus and van ride in Rocky Mountain National Park. And they got up to an overlook where all the kids get out, and one of our van drivers locked the only set of keys they had with them to one of our vans in the van. And so now they have a timeline. They know where they're supposed to be going. Now they have one van with the keys locked in it. And um, as they're working to solve that problem, um, they try to figure out a way to do it, and eventually, the, two hours later, the only thing they figure is we've got to break into the van 
And so they break a window, they break into the van, they uh, start going, and, and they go. So now they're two hours late, headed back to Cedar Falls, and uh, about supper time, they stop with their buses and vans at a McDonald's, and the bus driver makes a mistake and sees a uh, gravel lot, and between the pavement of the McDonald's and the gravel lot where she wants to park is a big trench that she didn't see, and the tires of the bus get wedged in the trench. So now this bus driver uh, is potentially making our caravanners even later. And so it actually takes four hours to solve this problem. And um, the bus driver was way tense as she was afraid that she would be losing her job. Um, our caravanners were way tense because they wanted to get back for our worship service in the right time. Our director of caravan was way tense because how are we going to handle this? And eventually they bypassed the bus driver. They called the company. And once they did that, the company said, man, we'll get you a bus as fast as we can. They got a replacement bus and all was well. But here's what happened. Three of the girls who were caravanners, high school girls, they noticed how tough of a place the bus driver was in. They noticed she was stressed. They noticed there were tears coming out of her eyes. They noticed she was in a tough place. So they went into a nearby shop and bought her a gift. This is a bus driver who didn't seem to like being on caravan anyway. (laughs) Imagine that. And they gave her this gift. And then that night, in the middle of the night, we're going to change bus drivers because they can only drive so many hours. And for the first time in the whole trip, this lady bus driver gets on the mic says, I, I want to say a couple of things to this trip. And she says, this trip has changed my life in a way no other trip has. This trip has like challenged me to think about things in my life. And I love you guys. Because three girls in the midst of the storm saw that they could make a difference. They could glorify God that instead of getting mad at a driver who got you stuck and now you're spending five, four hours here at McDonald's, you could actually think beyond yourself and in the midst of a storm, you could help. And maybe, just maybe, God would use that to change a life. Some of you were at the, um, the Global Summit. And uh, at the Global Summit, um, Tyler Perry who's an actor, a producer, um, a movie, movie a director, a philanthropist. He was interviewed by Bill Ibels. And one of the things that came out in the interview was that Tyler Perry, who's black, was he was growing up. Um, he, uh, his dad was an alcoholic. And every Friday night at the end of the work week, he would come home and he would beat his mom and he would beat Tyler. And that was week after week after week. And then on Sunday morning, Tyler's mom would get up and take Tyler to church, and she would sing in the choir. And Bill Hybels, who was doing the interview, he was saying to uh, Tyler Perry, well, tell me, how did that go for you? How did it go for you getting beat up on Friday nights and being in church on Sunday? And Tyler Perry said the most amazing thing. He said, I watched my mom sing in her choir. And over time... I wanted to know, I wanted to know the God that lifted her spirits on Sunday morning 
so that she could have such joy, even though I knew what was going on at home. He said, when I saw the joy that God could bring in that situation, I wanted to know that God. In the midst of a storm, God can get great glory. So here's Tyler's mom, living that, kind of living hell in a way, and yet showing up at church, singing in a choir, letting the Spirit of God touch her soul every Sunday. And what's the result? Her son, sitting down in the pew, says, I want to know that God. I want to know that God who's the God of my mom. We have people in our church who go through storms, right? Um, we had a John Deere worker who died of cancer a few years back. I walked with him day after day, week after week, month after month. He had been in a department for 20 years. I, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 years. And he never knew who in the department were Christ followers. And then he got cancer. And he came into the meeting and he told his department... You know, I've got cancer, and I'm probably going to die. I'm going to work a while, and then I'm going to have to be gone. And he said the number of people who walked in with cards to say, I'm praying for you. My church prayer line is praying for you. And he said, we didn't even know we were all followers of Christ until I got cancer. You see, all eyes are on you when you're in a storm, and you have the power to glorify God. Kurt Patterson drove himself to a hospital one day because he thought he was having a heart attack. He was really close. So he had to hang out at the hospital for a couple days, and all his kids came in, and they spent a couple days together. And uh, they weren't sure how he was going to make it through on Monday. So on Sunday, he has a chance to talk to the family. All eyes on Kurt. Right? So... I don't know where you are in your storm. I don't know if you're right in the midst of like a big storm. I don't know if like you have a loved one who's in a storm. I don't know whether you have a storm coming later. But I know these four things. Sometimes it's God's will for us to be dead center in the storm. Sometimes you can learn things in storms you won't learn other ways. Jesus can be trusted in the middle of the storm. And God can get great glory when you walk through a storm desperately hanging on to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much, so very much for the pictures of the storms in the New Testament of the Bible. Thank you so very much for the story of Peter getting out of the boat and being invited right into the wind and the waves. Thank you very much for those people in our lives who we've seen walk through storms, hanging on to Jesus and bringing you great glory. Thank you that we can learn from our storms. Father, help us remember what it is we've learned through storms in the past. Help us bring you glory as we walk through our current storms. Help us be an encouragement and a strength to those around us who are walking through storms. Help us be a church 
that uh, brings your perspective and your frame, your reframing to storms. Thank you for everyone here in the room, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.